Well, good morning, FCC Church. Good morning. All right, that was kind of weak. Let's try that again. Good morning, FCC Church. Hey. Good morning. Hey, there we are. We are wide awake. Uh, welcome to, um, to FCC, and thank you for joining us to, for church this morning. Um, could you please stand up as we sing praise and worship to the Lord?
your name. From the rooftops I proclaim that I am yours. I am yours. And all that I am I place into your loving hands. And I am yours, I am yours, I am yours. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 29, we are told, he gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we're so blessed that we can come together this morning for this time of worship. And Father, I pray that as we're here, that we know that our strength and our power come from you. And Father, I just pray as we're gathered here this morning that we can lift up the name of Jesus high. It's, on his, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today as we lift up Christ together. This morning, we ask that you please make sure you fill out your connection card for us. For those of you who are watching online, we ask that you do the same so that we can continue to keep in contact with you and attend to your prayer needs. So at this time, the band's going to continue to lead us in song as we continue to lift up the Lord together. What a friend we have in Jesus He 
Jesus. 
Psalm 1-3. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers.
Well, that'll wake you up. Last Sunday, we started a series in Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, we talked about the fact that David is giving something from the depths of his soul. It's not something theoretical or just theological, but it is something that he experienced in his life, and he proclaimed that the Lord is his shepherd. Now, one of the things that we need to understand about the whole concept of this is the issue of trust. And that's what we talked about last week, about the amount of trust that it takes to allow somebody else to be your shepherd. The question gets to be in life is, who do you trust when you're in need in life? Who do you trust when you have plenty in life? Who do you trust? Who do you allow to lead you? Who are you willing to follow? Who do you trust when you're going through the tough times in life, when you need provision and when you need guidance? At the end of verse 1, David says that because the Lord is his shepherd, he lacks nothing. And that's what we're going to speak of today. What is that nothing that he lacks? And he's going to expound on this in verses 2 through 4 today. So that's what we're going to be covering. And the title of the message this morning is called Provision. Now, what does a great shepherd provide? At this time, I think I need security to come up here with me for a moment. Because I found a great article, very insightful article. I need the protection, I think. I want you to watch if any guns come out or anything. This isn't bulletproof, so I expect you to throw yourself in front of the bullets, right? You can make me do evac principle drill. There, there you go. Yeah, look, look, look menacing. Yeah, oh, well, it's the beard, you know. You know, there we go. Man, I look, I'm scared now. Well, I found an article that's very insightful, and by the way, this does tie into what we're doing. It wasn't just thrown in for humor. From May 13th, 1955. For those of you, some of you are young enough, you'll have to Google that to see that that date existed. It's a good housekeeping article entitled, The Good Wife's Guide. The Good Wife's Guide featured tips on how to please their husbands <laughs> when, they come, when they come home from work. <laughs> like, y'all don't work. Here we go. Here's some excerpts. I'm trying to be serious here. Have dinner ready. Plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious meal ready on time for his return. This is a way of letting him know that you've been thinking about him and are concerned about his needs. Write down any of the ladies who aren't taking notes. Secondly, prepare yourself. <laughs> I don't know why this is so funny to me. Take 15 minutes to rest so you'll be refreshed when he arrives. Touch up your makeup. Put a ribbon in your hair. Be fresh looking. We're going to get some ribbons. We sh I should have brought ribbons to pass out. He's just been with a lot of work-weary people. Three, clear away the clutter. Make one last trip through the main part of the house just before your husband arrives. Over the year's cooler months, you should prepare and light a fire for him to unwind by. Your husband will feel that he's reached the haven of rest and order, and it will give you a lift too. After all, catering to his comfort will provide you with immense personal satisfaction. It's good advice, isn't it? This is good stuff. As a guy, I like it. Prepare the children. Take a few moments to wash the children's hands and faces if they're small, comb their hair, and if necessary, change their clothes. They are little treasures, and he wants to see them play the part. <laughs> I love this one. Minimize the noise. At the time of his arrival, eliminate all noise from the washer, dryer, or vacuum. Try to encourage the children to be quiet. The next one, make his evening. Never complain if he comes home late, goes out to dinner, or other places of entertainment without you. I mean, besides, you've got to take care of the house and cook. I mean, instead, try to understand his world of strain and pressure and his very real need to be at home and relax. Your goal, make sure your home is a place of peace, order, and tranquility where your husband can renew himself in body and spirit. Wow. I, th I think we're good now. Thank you, my friend. I felt safe. I'm watching you. Okay, keep an eye, keep an eye on this one in the front row. She, I'm going to watch her. Don't shoot the messenger. 
Well, the big idea of our message this morning is that God sees your needs. He provides for your needs, and he does it at the right time with the right purpose. Let's look at Psalm 23. We're going to be in Psalm 23 this morning. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to concentrate on verses 2 through 4. So let's begin. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He takes me to lush pastures, he leads me to refreshing water. He restores my strength, he leads me down the right paths for the sake of his reputation. Even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff reassure me. You prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil, my cup is completely full. Surely... Your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all, the, all of my days, and I will live in the Lord's house for the rest of my life. So in verse 1, when David talks about the fact that he will lack nothing, the first thing he speaks of is quite simply this. The shepherd provides the necessities for one's life. Let's revisit verse 2, and it says this. He takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing waters. If I am in his care... If, if he is my shepherd, one of the things that should result from that is I should be able to get through life without being wrought with anxiety, without being stressed all the time, because I know that my shepherd provides for me, that he takes care of the necessities of life. Now, the reality of the fact is we stress all the time and we get upset and we're anxious all the time, aren't we? There's always something new happening that gets us to some level of stress. But honestly, the closer that we get to the shepherd, the less that those things start happening. We'll go through difficulties, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the passage. But the fact is, you will understand that when you're going through those things, that God is going to take care of you. The shepherd sees the flock. He makes sure that they're provided for. He gives them sustenance, protection, and he offers them rest. And let's be honest, sheep need a lot of help to survive the day. They don't appear to be the brightest animals on the planet. They have no real defense mechanism. They can't run fast like a cheetah. They don't have claws like a lion. They don't have size like a bear. They're pretty much like a Greek meal, you know, when you get them out there by themselves. Gyros, man, those things are so good. But the problem with sheep is due to their strong flocking instinct and their failure to act independently of one another a lot of people think well they're just dumb they've been branded as stupid now just as a side note i read some articles that suggest that sheep are actually kind of smart that there's a lot of things they can feel emotion there's a lot of other things but i want to get into that so they're not completely stupid but the problem is their only protection from predators comes when the predators come they join together and they they get close to make themselves look bigger see if a predator threatens the flock that is not the time for the sheep to go rogue because they just become, like I said, they become a Greek dinner. They're very easy pickings. And so we need to understand this. Now, the sheep depends on the shepherd for the necessities of life. That shepherd makes sure that those sheep are taken care of because on their own, they just aren't going to make it. They're going to die. They're going to eat eaten. They might walk off a cliff. Who knows? See, sheep will go in into a field and eat all the grass until it's gone. And then they'll stay in the same place waiting for more that's not there. If you've watched some of the old westerns and you've seen the, the, the battles between the sheep herders and the cattle ranchers, the problem that was going on there is the sheep herders would come in and the sheep were just like little lawnmowers and they would eat every blade of grass in the field and it would ruin the field. And that's what got the cattle people so upset. For instance, if we took a bunch of sheep out here, they would eat all the grass out here. That's, they could. They'd eat it all. They'd eat it bald. And then they'd kind of hang around like, Okay, what's next? They wouldn't think, you know, if I go across the street over here, I can get some more. If I walk to this other place, I can get more. They just keep waiting. So the shepherd has to take care of them. The first part of verse 2 is often translated as, making the, as the shepherd making them lie down in these pastures. But that's not really what's being done here. And that's what's nice about the NET translation. I think it catches the flavor. What it says there is, he, is the shepherd takes me to lush pastures. And so, any, like I said, any person that knows anything about sheep, by the way, they won't sleep when they're hungry. When their belly's full, then they'll rest, kind of like we get sometimes. Um, so what we have is we have this scene of this great green pasture where the sheep have eaten their fill, 
and now they can lie down. So what this passage is really saying in verse 2 is the shepherd takes them to the place where they can actually experience rest. They can be satisfied. They can be, they can be restful. Their bellies are full, and they're feeling good about life. The shepherd finds, this, finds them this lush place to eat. He leads them to the place. He allows them to eat, which in turn lets them rest. So he provides this for them. The shepherd didn't go around with his stick and beat them until they lie down. They will just do it. He provides that. Now, think about this in your own life. When your life is full of chaos, drama, and all this stuff, do you sleep well at night? Now, some crazy people do because they love it. They say, I don't like drama, but they're in the middle of every piece of drama you ever think of. But No, you don't because that anxiety keeps... I know when I'm anxious, man, my, my heart's pumping, my brain's running. Uh, I still can't remember anything, but it's going. I guess it's running on empty. But the fact is, when you have those things in life, you can't rest. Finally, you get to the point of exhaustion, and you get some sleep, but it's still not good sleep. When the Lord is your shepherd, he will take you to these lush pastures. He's not going to jam your head into the ground and make you eat it, but he provides that for you so that you can eat till you're satisfied and that you can rest because you're not carrying those anxieties around with you. The second part of the verse, he talks about how he takes them to refreshing waters. Now, if you know anything about animals, generally they really like running water uh, because instinctively they know that water doesn't run, that doesn't run can, be, can become stagnant, and so they typically shy away from it when they can. For instance, I, I have a couple cats. I know you didn't know that, <clears throat> but my cats, uh, when I first got them, I got water bowls, got a water bowl, and they would drink it but I was reading articles, and I was afraid, oh, I don't want my cats getting dehydrated and all this stuff, so I had to, I had to go buy them something, you know? I had to, had to get them whatever they needed. So I got a water fountain. I think the first one somebody gave me, I can't remember. But I got a water fountain, and they, man, they went crazy over that thing. They were drinking and drinking and drinking, and you know what I noticed? The bowl of water wasn't touched. And so I know cats love that running water. And what we need to realize is, is when the shepherd takes us to water, he doesn't take you to stagnant water. He takes you to water that's very refreshing. See, God knows what you need, and he makes sure that you have it, those necessities. God provides as he sees fit, not based on our own desires. Our shepherd, take, uh, our shepherd takes care of us. And the sheep, they're not sitting there arguing with the shepherd about what they need. They know that they've got needs, and they know the shepherd takes care of them. And it's critical for us to understand because in the Psalms, God's goodness and love are woven throughout that he does these things because of his care and he, because he cares. And Psalms makes it clear that God is the satisfaction of every, eventually, of every need. If we find God is our, where we find our satisfaction, we won't be stressing about a lot of these other things. I mean, in your life, who do you depend on for your needs? Who do you lean on? Are you one of those people that think, well, I do it all on my own? One day you'll find out you don't because you can't. One day you'll get something. You know, it's amazing what can kill us. <laughs> and you'll find out I can't do it on my own. See, the sheep were totally dependent on the shepherd. The sheep did not have to worry about if they were going to eat. They did not have to worry about if they were going to drink. You know what the sheep's job was? <laughs> Follow the shepherd. Guess what? In your life, what is your job? Follow the shepherd. Because if you don't follow the shepherd, you're not going to eat figuratively, you're not going to drink figuratively, you're not going to rest. Because you're trying to blaze your own path. The shepherd's going this way and you're like, ah, I'm going to go over here. And then you wander over here for a while and you wonder, well, why am I hungry and thirsty? God's saying, hey, get on your GPS and get back with the pack. You know, get back here with us. Because our job is to follow the shepherd. All of us who grew up in what I would, I, the word normal is a little subjective, but within a normal home, a healthy home, we understand this concept. See, when I was a kid, matter of fact, I had a conversation with my younger daughter the other day. She had a plumbing issue at her house, cost a lot of money. And I said, how do you like adulting? She said, I don't like it. I said, well, should have stayed home. But anyway, <laughs> when I was a kid, living under my parents' roof, now we were not wealthy by any stretch, by any stretch but we had everything we needed. I never went to a cabinet and, and saw it was empty. I never opened the refrigerator with nothing there. I didn't have to have this, this anxiety in my stomach. Oh, is there going to be anything to eat? Is there going to be anything? Is there going to be anything? No, there's always something. There's always something to eat. I didn't have to worry about it. 
When I went to the light switch, I didn't, oh gosh, I don't, now they're in the light bulb burning. I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if mom and dad paid the electric bill. Nope, I flip the switch, it comes on. When I turned the TV, I knew baseball was going to come on. So it was all good. Uh, my closet was full of clothes. My room was full of baseball equipment. I was happy. I didn't have to worry about these things. But you know something changed. My parents never sent me to school naked. <laughs> they never sent me to school in cruddy-looking clothes. But as I got older, you know what started happening? I started worrying. Why? I had clothes. I had shoes, socks. I had everything. But what I started doing as I got older, I can't remember exactly when, but somewhere as I get near, got near teen years, you know what I started doing? I started looking at what everybody else had. See, my friends had Levi jeans. Now, you know, I had Sears brand. And for younger people, you might have to Google Sears, but I had Sears brand. Nothing wrong with them. They fit, you know, they worked. But then, and I had tennis shoes. Now, today it would be cool. You know those Converse, they call them Chucks? Okay, now when I was a kid, get off my lawn story, they were like 15 bucks. You could go to, to, the, to the dollar store, no, it wasn't the dollar store, uh, P. and Hershen places, get them for like $10, $15. Those same shoes, same shoes, a hundred and some bucks now. I bought my granddaughter some a couple of years ago. Like, what? I so wish I would have bought a thousand, two thousand pairs of those when I was a kid because I would be rolling in the dough right now. But I didn't worry about it. But when I had my Chuck Thomas, my Chucks on, the other kids were starting to get some of the other, about that time the shoes were starting to get expensive. And I'm like, wow, I just got these. Look what they got. I just got these. Look what they got. And I started to take my eyes off the fact that my parents were providing for me. I was dissatisfied. And in your life, what ends up happening, if what happened to me is I think as my childhood innocence left, then all of a sudden, other things started coming in. And instead of being thankful for the fact that I had things that some kids didn't have, just even Sears jeans. And by the way, I was really rough on clothes, so I understand why my parents did it in part. <laughs> but um, I, I, I started caring about things that weren't that important. And I think sometimes when we're following the shepherd, if we don't have what somebody else has, we think we're being cheated. And then we get discouraged, and we think, well, God's not really providing. I mean, I'm driving a Toyota around, and you know, instead of being able to drive whatever, or I'm driving a Chevy, which if you got that, I understand. But instead of driving this, or, oh gosh, I had to get an Android. And, you know, I get that too. I've used one. It's like, ooh. But anyway, we, st yeah, they're horrible. But anyway, how come you just can't push a button to answer the phone? Tell me that. I don't understand that. But anyway, um, we start just getting off the path and getting dissatisfied. And then we get dissatisfied. We start thinking, well, God's not really providing for me because look at everything he provided for this person and I'm not getting See where I'm coming from here? When we get older, we learn not to be thankful for what we have. See, God provides for our needs. He takes care of us. Let's look at verse 3. He restores my strength. He leads me down the right paths for the sake of his reputation. So the other thing that David did not lack with the Lord as his shepherd is he provides direction for one's life. It's almost imperceptible, but at verse 3, we begin a new thought because many times we take verse 3 and we think, okay, he restores my strength, and we just tie it to the fact that we've been taken to green pastures and to, and to, and to fresh waters. And there's a truth to that, obviously, but he's also actually introducing a new thought. He's talking about the fact that we can be strengthened by following the law of the Lord, by following the Lord, by allowing him to lead us. As a matter of fact, the... Uh, when we start looking at this, he's talking about the Lord being the guide for our life. He restores my soul by guiding me on the paths of righteousness. Now, the other part in verse 2 is right, but verse 3 is almost standalone. He's going to lead me down these paths, and I'm going to be strengthened. Look at Psalm 19, verse 7. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect and preserves one's life. The rules set down by the Lord are reliable and impart wisdom to the inexperienced. So when God provides the substance we need, he also renews our strength by giving us a path that, walk, that we walk on that will strengthen us. Some translators try to soften this and use, in, instead of using uh, the word refresh, they use the word refresh instead of restore. But when we look at the passage, what we're told here, 
back in, uh, let me pop it back here. I think I can get back there. Maybe not. Oh, oh here it is, sorry. You notice here it says that uh, he restores my soul. That's really the best way to translate that because that word, that verb means repentance or conversion. And so when it, sa what it says is, he says, when we walk on these paths, there's going to be a conversion. There's going to be repentance, which in turn strengthens us. And so we need to understand that. Part of the restoration process is letting God direct your life. I've always said when we've talked about repentance, I think we spend a lot of time on baptism and faith and all these things, which we should. But man, repentance is so important because repentance is that willingness to say, you know what, I've not been going at it right. I need to change. I need to go to a different direction. So what direction do you turn? It should be to God. The right paths that he refers to in this when he says that he leads me down the right paths are the paths that lead to wells of water and pasture. Going back to verse 2. And when we have these things, we're strengthened. But also when we're going down these paths, they are safe paths. In other words, they're the right paths. We are talking about God's providential guidance in our life that we so desperately need. See, David is confident that God directs him in paths that will be beneficial to him. David, here's that word again, trusts God enough to know that God will need to lead him down the right path. And that path won't lead to his destruction. Now, we'll talk a little bit about what, you know, Paul and some of those folks who died serving God. This is a whole different. David knew that no matter what the path God put him on, that God put him on, it would not lead to his destruction. Think about your own life for a moment. When you've made these mistakes, when you've had these things that maybe changed, that altered the path of your life, were they ever, ever as a result of following God and his path? Did that ever destroy you? Did that ever ruin you? No. Whenever we get off path, whenever we get ourselves in trouble, it's always when we struggle off God's path for us. We get off what he calls as a right path. And we decide, you know what? I don't want to follow here. I'm going to go off on my own path. And then what happens? Trouble. Destruction sometimes. Those mistakes were not caused by following God. They were caused by you saying, you know what? I'm going to do it my way. I was watching uh, Flipping 101 again last night, and these two dudes, they had, they had Tariq come in and help them. They'd never flipped in California before. So they were all excited. Oh, we're so glad we're going to meet Tariq, and he's going to be so helpful. Every step of the way, they counteracted and ignored his counsel. Every step of the way. And I'm, t I'm getting mad as I'm watching, and I told her, what is going on with these two dudes? Why did they even call him in to show that they thought they knew more than him? But the problem is when you bring somebody in like that, if you don't trust them, you won't listen to them. And as a result of them not listening to them, they cost themselves money. And this happens all the time. And so when we don't trust God, we won't follow him. We'll get on that path and we'll, for whatever reason, we'll think this isn't what I need. This isn't what I want. This isn't what I, it's usually it's not what I want. And we get off the path and then we have problems, don't we? It takes trust to follow the shepherd. And the only way you're going to get that trust is develop the relationship and to grow with him. At the end of this verse, this is interesting. It almost sounds egotistical, but it says he leads us down the right paths for his reputation. And that's the proper translation of this. What it's saying here is, think about this. Remember when the Israelites got led out of Egypt and what, what did they whine every time something going? God led us into the desert to kill us. God led us out here for the Israelites to kill us. And that's every time they opened their pie hole, they were complaining about this. And I don't know why Moses just didn't call them up one by one and just smack them. It's like, shut up, shut up, you know, just get them in line. But see, how would it have looked had God, and by the way, when God wanted to wipe them out, Moses said, ah, that wouldn't look good for you if you killed them all, <laughs> you know. It would be bad for God's reputation for him to take those Israelites and just let them die in the desert and to kill them. As a child of God, when you belong to Christ, when you're baptized into Christ, for him to just let you go in ruin, now you can choose to do it on your own, but not to be there for you would be bad for his reputation. It would, make him, it would be bad for God because people say, well, look, they, all those people became Christians and look what, look what happened to them. Their lives were destroyed. In the context of the metaphor, the shepherd led his sheep who, excuse me, who led his sheep to death and destruction wasn't going to get a job. Imagine you're a shepherd and you go to do your resume and say, they start interviewing and you say, well, what happened to your last group of sheep? Well, they all starved to death. I don't know. I just didn't feel like walking them too far. It's kind of, and then you say, well, what about the one? Well, you know, it's kind of funny you bring that other group up. They, they all died because I took them to a poison well. 
I didn't trace it. I didn't. It, I mean, it looked kind of green, but I thought they'd be fine. I mean, penicillin, who knows? But, and well, what about the one before that? Well, you know, that's an interesting story because I walked them off a cliff. I was not paying attention. I was on my phone, you know, texting, and I walked them all off the cliff. Luckily, I grabbed a branch and saved myself. You think that dude's going to get a job? No, no. Who wants to follow a God who destroys your life? Nobody. Whenever you follow God, it will not lead to your destruction. Let's look at verse 4. Even when I must walk through the darkest valleys, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff reassure me. So the third thing that David knew that he was not lacking is the shepherd provides his presence in one's life. See, when God is your shepherd, we will endure difficult times in life. You are not, no one is immune to it. Even Jesus wasn't, remember him hanging on the cross? Pretty rough way to go. But God will be walking with us during those times. The NET translates this in a way that catches the verse really well because when we, a lot of them translate, oh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Okay, we've kind of subconsciously made that mean like, okay, on my final journey or as I'm facing death, God's going to be with me, which he will and he is. But actually the meaning is a lot more broad than that. It actually deals with any time that danger lurks or any difficulties are there. He is with you. It's not just the worst case scenario. The shepherd metaphor in this reference envisions the occasion when the shepherd has to take the sheep through dangerous valleys, through forested valleys where lions and other predators could come and get them, but he's got to lead them through there to get them to the pasture and get them to the water. And so what he's saying is he doesn't just say, well, you know, this looks dangerous, sheep, go on ahead. I'll catch up with you later. I'll take a long way to get there. He's walking with them through that. And they know that. The sheep, as they're going through these dangerous things, they're not thinking, oh, this is kind of dangerous here. Bah. You know, they're just following the shepherd. And see, in life so many times, when we quit looking at the shepherd, we see all the dangers. Remember Peter when he got out of the boat? Dude's walking on water, man, just like Rick Ocasek of the cars. But anyway, he, this is really cool. Dude's walking on water, okay? What happened? All of a sudden, he realized, remember Coyote? Wiley Coyote. He's all running across, he's, he's running on air, and then all of a sudden he realizes, and then he, somewhere he pops this sign out and says, and he goes down. Well, that's what Peter did. He started looking around and says, oops, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And what we do a lot of times in life is God is leading us on a path, and then what we do is we quit looking at him, and we start looking at the path, and we see danger, 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 and we freak out, and we, and we, we walk off. The sheep, the sheep don't do that. The, da the danger is there, but the shepherd's with him. When I was younger, I've told you this before, I had a group of guys that would try, want to beat me up after school. They'd threaten it and they'd chase me. I got good at running, by the way, because I, I didn't want to get beat up. But I had a friend in my neighborhood, a dude named Danny Slot, and Danny was older than me, and many times he would see me walking home and he, he'd, he'd start walking with me. And when Danny was walking with me, like, come and get me now, guys, he's going to take care of you. Just like I had my security guard up here in case any of you ladies went crazy on me today, you know? over that wonderfully written article, by the way. But anyway, um, <laughs> I didn't have any fear. And guess what? Those guys didn't chase me at that point either. Uh, once I hit sixth grade, nobody messed with me anymore. But anyway, in the human application, when we start taking it away from the sheep, the soul that trusts in the Lord will pass through many dark valleys, sometimes even the valley of death. But we, have, we will have no fear because we know that God is with us. It takes so much anxiety. People say, I don't like to be anxious. Okay, if you don't want to be anxious, focus on God. Keep your eyes on him. Jesus promised us he would be with us. Remember when he left, he gave the great commission in Matthew 28. It says, and when Jesus came up to them, he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And here's the promise. And remember... I am with you when? Always. Till when? The end of the age. In other words, until he comes back. So when the shepherd had to lead the flock in dangerous surroundings, there was no fear because the shepherd was with them. The disciples were going to go through these difficult times. Paul, Peter, and most of them except for John died martyrs' deaths. And somebody could say, well, look, they followed God and look what happened. If this is the only life we lived, you've got a lot to complain about. But remember, Paul... He was ready to die. Now, he wasn't suicidal, but he didn't care because he knew what was waiting for him. He knew that this life isn't all there is, and so they didn't fear it. Peter didn't fear it. None of them did. 
Once they left that upper room, once, once Jesus appeared to them, they had no fear. They weren't trying to, they didn't have a death wish, but they weren't going to let anything stop them from doing what they were doing. So were their lives destroyed by following Jesus? Oh, no. Absolutely not. The physical lives ended, but that was going to end at some point anyway. But they had a, what a blessing they had. The last part talks about the rod and the staff, and a shepherd would carry a couple things. He carried a, a rod, which is basically a club. It was used to, to beat animals that were trying to attack the sheep. He didn't use it on the sheep. It was a protection mechanism. The other thing he had was a, was a, was a staff, and it, and it was a long stick that he'd use to help climb, help keep his balance, help him lean. And then occasionally, if a sheep would get out of line, he'd use it to kind of get it back into the fold. He didn't beat them with it, but he gently would move it back. And so for the sheep... They felt great comfort. Now, my father-in-law used to raise sheep, and my father-in-law would go out with the sheep. They were comfortable. If I tried to go in with the sheep, they'd scatter. They wouldn't come near me. I wanted to pet them, too. I was so disappointed. But when the shepherd is in their presence, they don't worry about stuff. They're not freaking out about stuff. They're not worried about danger. The great shepherd is with you all the time. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to come up with ways to get out of things and to deal with things. God's all-around provision is unwavering, and it's unequal. No, it's without equal. No one else, nothing else will provide and take care of you like that. Huh. We get into problems in life and we forget who we're following. The shepherd, the, for the shepherd, which Eastern shepherds still carry, by the way, that rod and the staff was reassurance. The shepherd's with us. You know, sometimes in life it's interesting because we don't always appreciate God's timing, but we proclaim his time to be perfect. In other words, we read, oh yeah, God's timing is perfect, but we don't like it because it doesn't fit our time frame. When David speaks of the intentionality in leading him beside fresh waters, resting in green pastures, he's setting us on a path and setting us on a path to lead us to God's glory and to glorify his name. It's because God knows what we need each time of our life. He knows it and he provides it. Our application this morning is this, and this is something you really need to understand. And if you don't trust it, you'll never follow it. God's intentions for us are good. He always is watching out for us and working for us to provide what we need. We must be attentive to, who, to what he is doing in our lives. Whether we realize it or not, God is making sure that we rest when we need it, eat when we're hungry, and make the most out of the life that God gives us. Who's your shepherd? I contend that if you're lacking in direction, you're lacking in, in substance, and you're lacking in feeling his presence, it's because you've not let him be your shepherd. And today's the day to change that. This morning, our praise team is going to lead us in a song of decision. And with that song of decision, we'll give you the opportunity to come forward. And if you've not done so, to make, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to confess him as your Lord, to repent to him for your sins, to meet him in the baptismal waters or you rise and walk in a newness of life. Your sins will be washed away. That's where that happens. You will be a new creation. That's when that happens. And you will have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's when that happens. That's what you need in life. You have to decide it, though. We can't make you do it. But we're offering you that invitation this morning. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning and have you be a part of the First Christian family. And if you're needing prayer, if you'd like to come forward this morning, I'd be glad to pray with you. But right now, if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward as we stand together and sing our song of decision. right here 
you're right here And everywhere I go I know you're not far away You're right here You're right here All these thoughts I've wasted All these thoughts I fear Even when these thoughts are faded now I still know that you're here My hope is in you And everywhere I go I know you're not far away You're right here You're right here And everywhere I go I know you're not far away You're right here You're right here The many times that I have felt alone The many times that I have felt The world was crashing down upon me You always stood here by my side You were always there Oh You were always there Oh You were always there And everywhere I go I know you're not far away You're right here You're right here And everywhere I go I know you're not far away You're right here You're right here And everywhere I go, I know you're not far away You're right here You're right here And everywhere I go, I know you're not far away You're right here You're right here You are always right Please be seated. You know, sometimes when we, we take communion, I know what's going through my mind. I know what I'm thinking. I know what I'm focusing on. But I often wonder sometimes, what is God thinking when he sees us doing this? Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him. He told us one day we'll take this in, the, in his father's house with him. And I think that's really neat. But I almost, in a way, have to think that when God's looking down and we're doing this, I would think that it's a moment of joy, a, a moment of some sadness because it, it's a remembrance. What do we remember more? Remembering the suffering that Jesus went through. So to me, that would be, I don't know, just as I look at it, it'd be a moment of sadness, thinking, wow, you know, look what he went through. But then there's also that time of joy, that juxtaposition of joy, because it, I see this as, you know what? Because he did that, I get, these people get to be with me. Their sins have been forgiven. The blood of my son washed them away. And one day, man, when, when, I, when I send him back, I'm bringing them all with me, and we're going to have a great celebration together. It won't be a funeral dirge. It'll be a celebration. And as we take our communion this morning, we're reminded of that sacrifice. We're reminded of that resurrection 
and that we're reminded of all these things, but we're also reminded of the love that God has for us. And I want to contend that there's joy with that also, because you were so important to him that he's always been with you, and he's provided you a way to be with him for eternity, not just for a few years. I think that's amazing. Let's pray together. Father, as we take this communion together this morning, help us to understand that the cup represents the blood of your son that was shed on the cross for our sins, and the bread represents his body that, that took the punishment that we all deserved. And Father, we thank you. We just thank you from the bottom of our heart for this great sacrifice. And I pray that as we look down in our own souls, Lord, that we just ask ourselves simply, do we really appreciate what's been done for us? And Lord, if we're to the point where we're kind of wavering on it, I pray that that changes and that we go to you even deeper with our life and that we follow you all the time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. On the inside of your bulletin, we have our announcements for this week. Um, there's no elementary or high school groups going today because Jerry gets to be at camp again this week. And uh, he survived the, the other one, so hopefully he'll come back with everybody intact with this one too. Um, there is no elder and preacher meeting today. Um, there's a Sunday night, uh, Roger Sunday night group is meeting. No teen study this week until July begins. And the adults, this will be our final study uh, until uh, until August, so this will be the last one we have until August. Operation Christmas Child's looking for some items. You can see that Stitches of Love has an announcement. There's something in here about the uh, cr the Day of Christian Martyr, so we ask you to look at that. And also, just for those of you who give electronically, um, our transition to Servant Keeper completely should happen this week. So I'm going to send an email out to everybody because on our, on our electronic stuff, we have the new link set up. So if you, if you decide to give and you're not a, a, a regular giver, uh, you'll go, it'll take you to Servant Keeper. And for those who give regularly, you don't have to do anything except I'm going to send you an email that you need to sign into Servant Keeper. And you can use your same credentials, but it's probably going to reject them. So what you do is you sign up, put in your same email address, and then you, it'll find you. And then you can, put in, you can use the same uh, same uh, password that you use with faith life but what that does is for anybody in our church by the way that's what i'm gonna send it out to everybody if you set up your servant keeper account even if you don't give online you can look at your giving each week because we put everything into that program only only you can see it in the treasure but anyway i'm going to send an email out this week when that transition is complete and for those that are giving regularly you don't have to change anything your gifts should 
automatically move over. I'm testing mine, so hopefully it works that way. So anyway, that's, that's what's going on with Servant Keeper, and then we'll be done, done with Faith Life totally. Okay, I think that's all the announcements that we have. Oh, there's a medical team meeting Saturday, so those of you who are on the medical team, make sure you don't miss that. On the back of your bulletin, uh, we have, well, I don't know what you actually call the back, but I guess on the fly, in the flyer piece here, um, we have praises. We had a great primetime fellowship at, um, the, at, the pits, at Pit Stop. I almost lost it. And we also have uh, concerns for the nation. We have people with health concerns, recovering from surgeries, getting ready for them. We have troops who are deployed. We have some shut-ins. Uh, we're praying for our local schools as one of our outreaches, and we're also lifting up Boise Bible College. So we ask that you take that home and be in prayer for situations. And when you see people in here you recognize, drop them a note and let them know you're praying for them. It's encouraging to know that, to, for people to know that you're praying for them. So at this time, let's stand together, and I'll have the closing prayer, and our band will lead us out with a song. Father, we thank you that we could come together this morning. We thank you for that blessing. And Father, I pray that as we leave this place, we leave so knowing, knowing that you're our shepherd. And I pray, Lord, that in the areas of life that we fight that, we just, we just trust you. I pray, Lord, that people see you shining through us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, me, I didn't do